MP, I've got a secret. You're having a baby, Bretto. <laughs> no, MP. You're moving to Byron. Not yet. You've got me a Christmas present. Well, maybe. But that's not the secret. What is it, Bretto? I'm not telling. Mate, that is just cruel. <laughs> I'll tell you next week. When will you tell me, Bretto? Well, Monday, November 26th, 8am, MP. Put it in the calendar. It is big news. And I think thousands of Wellness Couch podcast listeners will love it. All right, Bretto. It's in the calendar. 8am, Monday, November 26th, to get Bretto's big news. Make sure you get your emails by signing up at thewellnesscouch.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at thewellnesscouch. Do it now before the secret gets out. Do you want to know the secret, MP? Stop teasing, Bretto. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And our beautiful Cindy is in the United States and she is probably fast asleep right now, bless her little heart, but she's over there whipping up an absolute storm. So we totally, totally miss our gorgeous Cindy, but we are very, very excited to welcome a very special guest, one that I'm sure our beautiful Kimmy is going to have so many questions for. (laughs) (laughs) So true, so true. I'm very excited because we finally um, have someone, you know, with a little bit more knowledge than most on the powers of essential oils and her background is quite extraordinary and I think we'll have some fun. Well, it's very, very exciting to welcome the beautiful um, Elizabeth Ashley, otherwise known as the secret healer. Mm. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at the website here for um, this amazing summit that you're a part of, Kimmy, blendingsecrets.com. Now, we're going to make sure that we're going to share websites and links with all of our listeners at the end of today's podcast as well so that you guys can all follow this. And hopefully you guys will all jump on board and become part of the summit. Um, So I'm super, super keen to dive into this conversation and just to really explore with you, um, Elizabeth, who are you? Where did you come from? And and how do people like you get made? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what an introduction, ladies. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I suppose I have quite an extraordinary background from the point of view that I have been a professional aromatherapist for 26 years now, and uh, I was very fortunate to have been born into an aromatherapy family, probably the first generation possible, I suppose, because my mum was one of the first aromatherapists in the UK. And uh, she'd been working, actually, funnily enough, as an astrologer and a clairvoyant, and People have been coming to her over and over again with lots of aches and pains and really poorly people. And she'd been looking for a way to see if she could help these people. And uh, she went to the library one day and uh, a book fell out at her. And she came home and she said to my dad, I am going to go to see this lady, Patricia Davis, and I'm going to learn what she does. And my dad said, uh, well, what does she do? She says, I don't know. I suppose we'll find out. (laughs) 
and uh, she did. She went to train with the London School of Aromatherapy and bought home, I think, probably about 10 essential oils and started making the most wonderful products, which me and my sister were hauled around the United Kingdom to go to craft fairs and agricultural fairs to make people better. And uh, 30 years on, she still makes uh, essential oil preparations. But um, in that time, she also started one of the first schools in her own in the United Kingdom. So she was uh, one of the first international federation um, of aromatherapy schools and what was ISPA then, which is now IFPA, and became the vice principal of the IFA. And uh, yeah, she trained me and uh, here I am. (laughs) What was that like, actually? You know, so many people in our world, um, particularly in this generation, tend to be the trailblazers or someone from a further generation away tends to be the spark or interest into things like natural healing or plants. And What was that like having a mum that was so aware for you as a young child? I guess for you it was, there's no no difference for you, was there? No, it's normal. I can't compare with anything else because that's what it was. Um, I mean, we quite often used to have newspaper um, sort of journalists come to the house and take a picture of us. And my sister Tasha and I used to think, well, what on earth was interesting about us? And (laughs) I can remember there was um, uh, one journalist in particular who came and took pictures of everything and wrote this story. And he thought it was bizarre that we listened to Madonna in our house. (laughs) Every child of 14 does, don't they? (laughs) So, yeah. It was, I mean, it was lovely. We were always, we, I was always messing around with herbs and making face packs. And I'm sure my friends thought I was completely potty, but <laughs> you know, it's probably a bit like, I don't know if you have the, um, the program there. We had a, a lovely program on the television called The Good Life, which yes. was about, oh, you have The Good Life. Okay. Yes. So my mum and dad were very much like The Good Life. We, we grew all our own vegetables and, uh, we were always trying some bizarre little scam or something <laughs> to make some money out of nothing because you know there wasn't very much money in the seventies, was there? And in England, you know, um, I was born, started to grow up really when all of the pits had closed and there was a massive great recession across England, and so that's what you did. You tried to make something out of nothing. So that was a hell of a skill, really, that I learned. Yeah, so, yeah. And quite, um, I would imagine it, it made you quite resourceful. How did you feel going through your teens? Were you one of those teens that um, gave other people ideas and recipes around what they should be doing with? Um, no, quite the opposite. <laughs> quite the so you opposite. rebelled it? Uh, no, really, I hid it because, um, as you can imagine, the, the, the papers like to call us the House of Witches. And uh, we, I went to school with a lot of uh, kids who were very staunch Church of England and their parents were ministers. And had I carried on like that, I don't think they'd have been allowed to play with me, really. So, <laughs> no, we kept very, very quiet and tried to be as normal as possible, really. And tell me, Elizabeth, as far as growing up, did you have family members and, and were there other people that you learnt from apart from your mum? Well, actually, when I was 14, my parents divorced and uh, later my um, mum married um, a man who was a chemistry teacher and he too became the most incredible aromatherapist, extraordinary therapist. And he was also 
the uh, chairman of the British Society of Dowsers. So uh, he was one of the first people to douse for essential oils and did some of the early work in aromatic kinesiology. Well, that's actually uh, Robbie's ex term, isn't it? But that, it, it, the same sort of work of muscle testing and things like that. And so I learned a great deal from Michael, um, especially around hazardous oils. He did love a hazardous oil. And so uh, I've got a whole box of oils, probably completely dead now. They're so old, really, but uh, of all sorts of... <laughs> oils that really you shouldn't be touching <laughs> that he collected over the years so yeah I've got a wide understanding of probably a lot different oils to most people I would have thought there's a there's an oil that I see you've done some writing on that is really the talk of the town at the moment and I'm super super keen to get your um your view on it and that's the cannabis oil and I can ah. see that you, you've done some writing on that. And, and that's, that's really exciting because there's so much talk about it, but there's very limited study on it. Have you had the opportunity to do some study and research on it, given your background? Um, so in 2013, um, I had been doing quite a lot of ghostwriting for other people and my friends had intervened when I had had seven Amazon number one bestsellers for other people and told me I better start writing my own books. And that's how the Secret Healer books came about. And by 2015, I think I had done about 14 books. And I was asked to go and talk at the Naha conference over in Utah. And I was um, around about that time made the UK director of Naha. And when I was at the conference, I had the great pleasure of meeting Dr. Robert Pappas. And uh, he, for anybody who doesn't know, he's the most tremendous essential oil chemist. And um, he was standing on the next stall to me. And I was aware that there was probably somebody quite important, but it didn't click at first who was there. And uh, when I realized who it was, I thought, <laughs> toughen up a bit, girl, go and talk to him, really. <laughs> And uh, I went over to chat and he, I was very surprised when he knew who, who I was really. And uh, he said, you really should be writing about cannabis oil. And I said, I didn't even know there was such a thing because, it, you know, we just didn't hear about it over here. So he gave me two uh, extractions, two CO2 extractions, a total um, extraction and a select uh, extraction to bring back to the UK. And... Uh, for me to study and I thought oh yeah that's fine I'll knock out another book usually I can knock out a book in about three months <laughs> and uh, that was to take me down a wormhole <laughs> that lasted for a whole year it was incredibly difficult to write the book because cannabis medicine is so intricate and so complicated but as soon as I got a foothold on what I should be looking at, I realized that there was no turning back, that it was so important and it needed to be done because nobody in aromatherapy had done it at all. And so um, there are several different extractions of cannabis. Um, and for myself now, I tend to use a full extract CBD um, concentrate, but there are CO2 extractions and there's also um, a cannabis essential oil, which is slightly different um, because the essential oil doesn't have the cannabinoids in. So it's a different medicine 
in its own right, really. Uh, it's very high in terpenes, but the, the main parts of the cannabis medicine that are um, important are cannabinoids. And the reason for that is because, I suppose, late 90s, early to, um, of this millennium, a new system in our body was discovered um, called the endocannabinoid system which has been found to be our primary endocrine system. It's what modulates our um, hormones and our neurotransmitters. And very oddly, um, there seems to be two main receptors. There are other receptors, but we're not really, we don't really understand them very well. But these two main receptors, the CB1 and the CB2 receptor, actually really govern illnesses in our body. So the CB1 receptor is primarily in the brain and it modulates things like memory, cognition, uh, appetite, learning, um, mood, as well as itching and nausea. And the CB2 receptor is in the periphery, so it's in the rest of the body outside of the, um, the central nervous system, primarily on lymphatic and blood um, cells and it modulates uh, immunity and pain and inflammation. And strangely, these cannabinoids, these uh, constituents found in the cannabis plant, lock to and modulate that system. So if we have this broken endocrine system that means that we can't balance hormones, so for example, if our pancreas might not be able to balance um, insulin, or um, we have problems with uh, anxiety or depression, then quite often that's to do with this um, endocannabinoid system. And so there's so many different ways that cannabis can help to uh, stabilize all of those things from helping children who have autism, believe it or not, um, to it looks like it will stop tumors growing and actually reverse tumors and... uh, make them fall away in the system. And it's a strange situation because most of the, there is a huge amount of uh, research actually um, into the endocannabinoid system and into cannabis, but it's in a strange situation because it's a controlled drug. There isn't much um, research done in the human body. It's done in rats and mice and uh, monkeys sometimes, which is slightly different because we tend to use uh, rats to be able to understand what's happening in in the human body because they're evolutionary similar to us, but they're not actually identical. So we might be able to see that if, for example, anandamide, which is one of the ligands uh, in cannabis, is deficient in a rat's body, it will lead to a depressed rat but oddly, it doesn't lead to the same thing in a mouse. So we certainly can't say it for definite that it will be the case for humans. But when we watch people using it and see anecdotal evidence, then we can see really remarkable things happening every day that as yet science can't explain fully. But uh, yeah, I, I watch people get much better every single day. Are they taking that internally? Or how are you using it for cancers and things like that? And tell us how you would use the essential oil or when you'd use it as opposed to the the pressed oil. Okay, so the first thing I would say is take the essential oil out of the equation completely, first of all, because it won't help in any way, shape or form for those kind of um, illnesses. It does need to be one of the extracts with the uh, cannabinoids in. And 
Um, most people like to take it internally and it is it does have tremendous benefits. And obviously, we're familiar with things like Happy Cake, where people use the actual uh, marijuana and put it into cake, uh, and you'll suddenly see that you feel much, much calmer. And while the CBD oil doesn't have THC, it has the tiniest trace amount of THC, it needs that to be able to balance the actions of the um, the, uh, cannabidiol, which is CBD. Um, You don't have this... um, psychoactic effect it stays you stay completely calm the only thing with taking the medicine internally is once the uh, the the cannabinoids hit the liver they are metabolized into hundreds upon hundreds of different chemicals and so the outcomes are not as predictable actually as if you use them topically because if you use it topically in like creams and lotions that completely bypasses the liver goes straight into the um into the circulatory system and uh, starts doing its magic that way but i would say definitely if you were treating cancers and obviously legally we can't say treat cancers because it's not medically proven but most people who are doing it are taking it internally but for things like aches and pains depression i do i always say to my patients topical use is just as good Uh, in terms of the essential oil that has fewer uses from that point of view but it's very high in a constituent called beta caryophylline which is also proven to have a mild binding affinity on the CB2 receptor. So that would be things like inflammation, immunity, and pain. And so I tend to use the essential oil as an extra boost in my preparations, along with the CBD oil, to sort of fortify the immune system a bit. But what I have found it's really, really beautiful is... um, it's tremendous on an emotional point of view, hemp essential oil. And you tend to see it written as hemp essential oil rather than cannabis essential oil, even though it is cannabis sativa. It's um, the most wonderful oil for, first of all, creativity. And if, if anybody does go on to uh, read my book, I will warn you, it's a long book, but it is entertaining <laughs> in parts, I think. Um, but using the hemp essential oil, made me just write and write and write and write and write and just explore. I just went off down so many different avenues while I was uh, writing the book. There was so much sort of um, intuition came through from the hemp essential oil. And I can't really put my my finger on what it must be. Obviously, it must be the terpenes. But the other uh, thing I think it's incredibly useful for is forgiveness. And I can remember almost exactly the line that I wrote um, about uh, forgiveness. When you close your eyes, when you're meditating with hemp essential oil, it's almost as if it turns you to face the opposite way and you see a different emotional landscape. And it's incredibly useful if you've been in a long-term argument with somebody or things have just gone sour and you can't work out how to put it right. And somehow, if you're meditating with hemp essential oil, you kind of watch it, you become the observer. And that's very much a thing with the whole of the cannabis medicines, that you become the observer. And you're able to see what played out and see how the other person perceived it. And suddenly you kind of feel like your head drops to one side and go, oh, I get it now. Oh, yeah, that must have been awful for them. And so it's a very, very helpful uh, 
way to sort of lead yourself into a, a, a place of forgiveness and let go of hurt. And I think that potentially that might be one of the most important things about the cannabis medicine generally. When you look at sort of ancient and historical um, accounts of how it was used, it was the um, Scythians who were um, a very ancient race around about, I don't know, probably predating um, Christ. There's ancient Greek uh, literature by Herodotus who describes how the Scythians used to throw the cannabis flowers onto the fire and they'd make a tent for part of people's funerals and they'd have this amazing party where they were just laughing and he comments on how how much joyful they seem to find the funeral and I do think that whole thing of forgiveness is really important around somebody dying that perhaps we don't have at the moment in our sort of western philosophies and it's easy to stay angry at somebody when they die for leaving you and I wonder whether that sort of Scythian kind of uh, funeral helped people to let go of that anger when somebody died. It's very interesting medicine all told. It sure is. I think that um, just listening to you speaking about, you know, the impact that the oils have um, for people on a deeper level, speak to us a little bit more about that. Speak to us about how or what you've discovered, um, how the physical act of using plants can affect the psychology of the person who is who, who's applying it and which oils and are for what and, and, and give our listeners some kind of insight into some of your favourites and some of your personal experiences, Elizabeth, in terms of um, what are your go-tos? So I suppose I'm probably unusual that I can be very, very scientific and very, very woo-woo at the same time. <laughs> um, we talked earlier about having been born into a family of witches and clairvoyants. Well, I was born being able to see people's auras. And uh, so it's, I was, it was about nine, really, when I realized, well, I thought it was very strange that when the other kids in the class drew pictures of their friends their family or whatever there was no rainbow and I thought it was really strange and it was only as I got older that I realized actually nobody else is seeing those rainbows and so when I talked earlier about um, be, trying to fit in one of the things that I did was consciously learn to switch those kind of intuitive mechanisms off and so kind of don't see it all the time now but I can switch it on at will and in particular if somebody is standing in front of a white wall so one of the things that I see very profoundly is when somebody uses an essential oil how the barometer of the aura changes and you can see their sort of uh, psychology changing and their demeanor changing in their etheric bodies so quite often people will come to me and have like a real spikiness to them and their, their uh, colors will be very muted and almost washed out because I think that when people come to see an aromatherapist, they tend also an aromatherapist like me perhaps rather than a beauty aromatherapist, somebody who works, tend to work with very poorly people who are in a lot of pain. So they're there'll be all sorts of, the greens will be like khaki greens and dirty looking colors. And there'll be 
very little sort of oranges or yellows in their aura where you've got this bright communication coming through. And even sort of one week of just using the essential oils, even just by using through inhalation, when they come back, I can see that they've almost like switched the Christmas lights on around them, that the vibrancy is going back into the etheric bodies. So part of what led me to become so interested in things like the cannabis medicine and particularly the neuroscience is I wanted to understand actually what's happening in the body to, to make that happen. And um, I was fascinated to come across um, Dr. Candice Pert's work in around about 2012, sadly, within about a month after she died, actually, oddly. And uh, she'd been writing about how she had discovered that uh, neurotransmitters and neuropeptides in the body are potentially what cause these feelings in our body when we feel happy, we feel nervous. And that when you looked at the areas where there were sort of high concentrations of those, if you laid it over, you could see that they were actually over the chakras and that um, they tended to be over the glands where most of the energies were being concentrated. And that was fascinating to me because that seemed to me to be quite an answer for something that I had been wondering for a long, long time, which was how are, if we do think there's this strong link between mind, body and spirit, how does that mechanism work? That the messages come from the spirit into the, maybe through the chakras, but then how are they getting from the chakras into the physical body? And these ideas of these neuropeptides and neurotransmitters became extremely interesting to me. And so I started to study those a lot more in depth. And um, actually, in my talk that I'm doing actually in the summit, I talk about this a lot, how they affect both the physical body and the, uh, the uh, emotional body simultaneously. So, for example, a couple of the neurotransmitters that people might know easily are serotonin and dopamine most people recognize those terms now they're in everyday usage so most people would perceive that the um, serotonin was the mood modulator people always say oh, it's the happy drug but in actual fact serotonin has around about 30 different functions in the body and uh, mood modulation is a small small part of it serotonin is manufactured within the gut oddly and 90% of the serotonin in the body is found in the digestive system. So we can't then say it's the mood modulator because it's very, very uh, um, scheduled towards the physical body. So suddenly you can see how this neurotransmitter has got a, a foothold in the physical body and the emotional body. And the same applies with dopamine dopamine um for a long time we thought it was to do with um with reward because people have strange anomalies in their dopamine um signaling when they are addicted to something for example but we also see it uh skewed signaling when we look at sort of um neurological conditions like parkinson's for example part of this idea this shaking and stopping and you need somebody to clap to make you be able to move forward that's dopamine signaling as well so what's that got to do with addiction it's very very strange but what we've learned over time is that for a while we thought oh it must be desire and certainly 
dopamine is uh, related to desire, but actually it seems that it's to do with drive and motivation. So we now are in three different bodies, aren't we? We're in the physical body to do with this movement. We're in the mental body to do with um, to drive, but also desire is a very emotional thing. So the three are coming together very, very uh, carefully. And what's interesting is much of the research into this field, and actually it does have a name, it's called psychoneuroendocrinology. It's how the emotions affect the physical body. We also have psychoneuroimmunology, how the emotions affect how immune we are. Most of the research into this isn't necessarily into those molecules themselves. The scientists take an oil like lavender oil and say, well, we know what it does. Let's have a look if we can see what the signaling does when it's got uh, lavender, because that will help us to understand the signaling in the body. And we found, for example, that um, lavender um, stabilizes serotonin levels. And it also stabilizes dopamine levels. So all this idea of uh, aches and pains and why it's so soothing, we can see that it's working on those, all those levels through those signaling systems. So it's very interesting. In terms of oils that I have found most interesting, cannabis has got to be up there, I think. <laughs> but rose is very interesting as well. Rose has profound um, effects on the dopamine system so if you have this grief that you don't want to go on anymore and it stops you sleeping and you suddenly your body responds by you not being able to go to the toilet everything becomes sluggish everything slows down just the smallest amount of rose can lift that dopamine level and it's quite hypnotic, so it will send you to sleep, and your body seems to come into alignment behind it. So wh where did that rose work? Did it work on the, the dopamine? Did it work on the heart? Did it work on the grief? It's impossible to really label it. The more you start to look at the different angles, the more complicated it gets. The other one that I think is really fascinating is helichrysum oil, because helichrysum oil seems to come from nowhere, I think it was um, Kurt Schnaubelt who pointed out that till really till the 80s, nobody had really heard of helichrysum. So where's that come from and why is it so important? And uh, in my research into helichrysum, I found that it uh, keeps levels of arachidonic acid high. So that was fascinating. But what's arachidonic acid? Well, that is what the body makes endocannabinoids out of. And so by keeping the levels of arachidonic acid high, the body can cre create more endocannabinoids. So it will help to reduce pain. It will stabilize the mood. It will help to guard against all those conditions like infertility, um, well, what, anything to do with glands. So, um, uh, ins what insulin? What diabetes? That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> We're completely out of head. So all of those things can be stabilised by this beautiful fortifying medicine of helichrysum. And what do we call it? We call it immortal. We call it ever everlasting. Well, if you could stabilise that endocannabinoid system forever, which clearly we can't, but if we could, 
then that would mean that we didn't have any diseases, I suppose. That's the old-fashioned way of looking at it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a really fascinating topic and I love the different angles that you come from with essential oils and plant therapy. And I guess from my perspective of, of in the research I've seen, there, there is research out there. There is a lot of information out there about essential oils. But relatively speaking, we know that essential oils are quite young in its research. You know, we don't right. have a lot. Tell us your, your thoughts around um, this boom in, in loving essential oils worldwide. Obviously, with the big multi-level marketing companies, there's a lot of people out there now talking oils. Do you have any fears or concerns around that? And if so, what are they? And if not, what are they? And can you help us? How do we support people who are in this industry to always make sure we're, we're staying within our scope of practice? That's one hell of a big question, Kim. <laughs> well, I think that it's wonderful that we're booming but I think that the main challenge, I think that it's common to blame MLMs and to have this divide between MLMs and uh, aromatherapy for the different ways that people are working and the confusion within the industry about what's safe and what's not. But I think it's actually more to do with the way that we have to run our businesses through the internet. Because the way that people search for, in, uh, for information would be to put things like, uh, essential oils to treat eczema and we have to be very careful about what we're writing about that because actually regardless of, uh, of if you listen to people there actually isn't um, scientific evidence that would say that uh, essential oils will treat eczema any better than the medicine that the doctor gives you where the success of aromatherapy comes in is that we look at the system holistically. So we say, okay, well, we can give you some essential oils and these are what we would do. So for example, if it were me, I would say, right, we want to use some geranium to balance the adrenal system out. We want to look at some lavender and chamomile to calm down the emotions, but also the itching and soreness <clears throat> and maybe some myrrh to heal the skin where it's got broken. But then we need to go further than that. We need to look at, well, okay, but why are you having these breakouts? You're not always in a, in a situation where you're covered in these breakouts on your skin. What's happening? So what's um, leading your stress? How can we deal with that stress? Is there perhaps some kind of digestive problem that's causing like a hydrochloric acid in your body to throw up a toxicity? Maybe you are undernourished with vitamins and minerals and perhaps we can fortify the system like that. What lifestyle changes can we make? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? All of that information, if it goes into an internet post, just becomes banal and blasé because anybody's, the people are only looking for the essential oils that are going to heal the skin. And they will heal the skin, but for not for very long. And the outside of that, is those essential oils won't necessarily work for everybody because everybody's triggers are different. And so it's about looking at the person in front of you and treating each person as an individual that suddenly creates this beautiful dynamic medicine that makes people feel so much better. But you cannot communicate that through an internet page. So our industry in my mind, very sadly, is heading towards 
you go to Pinterest, you get a recipe, you emulate that recipe, and a week later you say, well, the essential oils didn't work because my, uh, my eczema's back. But that's because we only did the first layer of the medicine. Going past the physical body into the mental uh, body is so important because they're so, so joined. So this is why I've designed this summit. But also, I wanted to talk to people and say, right, okay, if we do go beyond the essential oil recipe and we do start looking at the body more holistically, what are the challenges are we going to face? And clearly, the more people who start using essential oils, it's wonderful, but it's also very detrimental to our planet because it's exhausting to the planet. Essential oils are a very costly resource. They tend to have, plants have a very... Um, low yield and quite high wastage and although there are some fantastic programs in place to help replenish different things that happen on the planet so for example in Australia you have this beautiful replanting of um, sandalwood for example and uh, Haiti they have tremendous protection for vetiver now and uh, um, fair trade Organ, uh, agreements in place where they have to um, be much more responsible about the way that they harvest. So that's a tremendous upside to the um, boom in aromatherapy. But also, I think if we're not careful, we're going to try and lead ourselves down exactly the same path as if you go to the doctors, you say to the doctor, can I have an antibiotic and you pop a few pills, but you haven't actually looked at your life and gone, but I don't always catch that bug. So what happened to me now that my resilience went down? And without that kind of introspection, I think that we're just going backwards. We're not going forwards. Um, so I think that there's two things need to happen. The first is actually something that you do very well, that we need to sort of become more aware of our bodies and rituals in an anchoring practice where we say, right, okay, We've got the oils, but actually what else is happening to me? How am I managing my stress? But also to say, what else could I use outside of essential oils? Because the plants themselves are medicine. And do we need to be going through this extremely costly process to be able to access this medicine all of the time? And, and quite often we can say, well, actually, no. We can make a tea out of something that we've got in the garden or we can just sit and inhale that we sit with the roses and smell the roses. And it's about getting our blinkers off and not saying, right, it's all about in that essential oil bottle. It's not actually. It's out, outside in the, in the cosmos. It's about connecting with everything around and connecting with our bodies again. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, isn't it, Karen? And um, we've often talked about the fact that, yes, we all love our oils, but we've never said it's just the oils. And mm. and one thing I wanted to ask um, Karen from this point of view, hearing what Elizabeth is saying here from that mental-emotional aspect and the fortification or the fortifying of moods and emotions, does that link back to what your research was around with things like the, the cannabis oil or your own thoughts around? Because Karen, Elizabeth, just so that you know, is very much into the mindset. And I'm just mm -hmm. fascinated to hear what she thinks now that she's heard what you've said. Um, does that link to you more so, Karen, or has there been anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, we, well, I know that um, Eastern medicine discovered anandamide um, almost 5,000 years ago. And 
they well they discovered they discovered that there was there were plants that uh, the the molecule of anandamide was the same as the molecule of um, of, of the of the THC uh, sorry of the, of the cannabinoid. So when we discovered it as Western medicine um, in the 1980s, we discovered that um, there were the receptor sites in the brain and we couldn't understand why there would be receptor sites in the brain specifically sitting there ready to take the molecule of cannabis. But what they discovered is that the body automatically produces or naturally produces anandamide. And it's, it's like a, it's, it's, it has the same impact as that the cannabis does. But so now Western medicine has been trying to find ways to have us produce our own anandamide without having to seek it from, from plants. And I think, you know, just coming back to what you're talking about right now, Elizabeth, is really looking at, because I've often wondered about this. I've often thought to myself, you know, as humans, we tend to exploit everything and we tend to desecrate almost everything that we touch and abuse it. And I just was interested often times to think, you know, how has this great hunger and thirst and overconsumption and, um, you know, the, the natural human way, how has that impacted on aromatherapy? And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that it is a real issue that we potentially face um, with aromatherapy, that we should start to look at other ways for ourselves to either produce some of our own um, neuropeptides and our own neurotransmitters inside of ourselves or look at other ways that we can use nature to support our own healing, health and well-being. Am I right that that's what you're suggesting? Absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> um, in actual fact, anandamide and the, um, the THC aren't exactly the same. They are very, very similar. Um, yes. and that's and that's important because it means that what that means is that the body can often mistake something as slightly different mm. so for example probably the most common example of that we would know is with clarisage it mimics estrogen it's not the same um, molecule but it mimics it well enough for the body to go oh okay that's interesting I've got some more of that and that will help us not only with period pains but also oddly uh, it helps men who have OCD strangely um, but yet in terms of endocannabinoids there are a few things that you can do outside of the cannabis medicine and what we I suppose the ideal situation would be that we wouldn't be using the the cannabis medicine as just a regular everyday thing unless we were in a really sort of um vulnerable position that we were in a lot of pain we were you know uh, suffering with uh, dreadful things going on in our lives the way there are ways that are being um, revealed to us. So, for example, one of the things that is proven to increase levels of anandamide in the brain is meditation. Um, so, anandamide and THC, although they are slightly different molecules, anandamide um, is nowhere near as strong as THC. So, you don't get this whoa, I'm in love with the whole world kind of man sort of feeling that you do when you've smoked a joint. But 
if the levels of anandamide are higher in your brain, then you do feel, God, life's pretty good today, you know, and meditation does that. The other um, endogenous ligand of the uh, uh, endocannabinoid system, uh, apart from anandamide, is called um, two arachidonal glycerol, or you write that as two AG, which is much easier for everybody. Um, and actually, the thing that um, raises levels of two AG is masturbation. Oddly, <laughs> mm. and they've been able to they've been able to uh, monitor that on in a clinical trial, so we can surmise that potentially all sex would do that would make you feel better, but that hasn't been monitored. We can only prove masturbation. The other thing that will definitely raise levels of arachidonic acid and so therefore levels of endocannabinoids is eating omega-3s. So eating hemp seed oil, for example, um, but also fish oils. So if you're eat, eating oil, oily fish, then that is, that's why it's brain food because it uh, in, increases these levels of endocannabinoids so yeah there are lots of different things outside of just taking the cannabis that um can be done but i suppose the the thing that's interesting about cannabis is it's a very sustainable crop actually um and from a um, ecological point of view you know it's especially in um britain at the moment we're building a lot of houses out of hemp crete which is like concrete made out of hemp because it's very very sustainable crop and we keep it can re- keep on replenishing it you can harvest from it very very quickly some of the crops only take sort of about four months to be able to come to a situation where they can produce oils well if you consider that against something like sandalwood or argawood which is hundreds of years then again it's another very useful way of being able to tap into a medicine at a, le- at a lower cost than for some essential oils definitely can we take a different tack, Elizabeth, and give us your top um, five or six oils that you think every home should have and why? Number one is one that nobody's got. And I would just love to see everybody have monada oil in their house. So monada fistulosa is a Native American um, plant and uh, I always say it saved my life. So when I was carrying my little boy, or do, well, a bit more background in that I have two much older children. And when, I was, when the oldest one was 16, I found out, big shock, that I was pregnant. And uh, I was very poorly all the way through the pregnancy. I developed a blood clot in my, um, in my lungs, which was, I was confined to bed pretty much for a year. And... Uh, Obviously, I was being very careful about what I used generally. But as soon as Dexter was born, I found details of a clinical trial that said that if you used uh, T-mol and geraniol um, constituents, that could repair the um, scarring inside of your lungs. So I thought, well, that's interesting. What oils are high in those? And I came across this oil, Monada, and I thought, well, that's never even heard of it, but let's order some. And it transformed my life. I went from being somebody who had profound COPD to being able to climb a really big hill to school every single day at top speed, much faster than any of my friends. And it's 
such a fortifying oil. And the Native Americans, the Lakota Indians, fortify their babies when they're first born by putting these beautiful flowers into the water and then dipping the baby in to absorb the essence of the flower and to fortify it. And they call it elk medicine. And when you read into what elk medicine is, not only is it fortifying, but it has this beautiful um, energy of bringing people to, around you to support you. And I absolutely love Monada. If, if the day is getting bad or if I have a cough or a cold or anything, the Monada goes on. It's beautiful. It's called bee bergamot sometimes because it smells exactly like bergamot. But it's tremendous for the respiratory system but also an emotional balancer too. So that would be my number one. Um, number two, I would say, well, it's boring, but it's got to be lavender, really. Yeah, I don't really need to ex- yeah I'm not going to explain the reasons why everybody knows why. Um, I suppose number three, again, boring, but tea tree. <laughs> you can't get by without it. Um, I think if I was marooned on a desert island and I could only take one oil with me, I would take my geranium oil with me. Yeah. I just think it's so good for stress and balancing generally and it's lovely on the skin and I think a couple of drops in the bath and you just feel the day lift away off your shoulders. So I think geranium is really, really powerful. And although it's very expensive, rose, really, I think if you're a woman... In particular, you need some rose. Yeah, I know it's an expensive one, but thankfully we can get it um, Mm. diluted as well. Tell me, your passion around education, your knowledge is phenomenal, and I really want our listeners to hear what you've been working on for so long now that's about to be (laughs) launched by the time this goes to air. Please tell us about your beautiful uh, Beyond the Essential Oil Recipe online summit. Who's on it and what are some of the topics that we can look forward to as we as we come to a close of this podcast, I would really love to get this across to our listeners. Oh, thank you. Well, it was a strange situation, really. You know how you make New Year's resolutions? And uh, I'd gone through Christmas and my hand was very, very, very painful. And between 2016 and 2017, I wrote over a million words each year. And my poor old hand was feeling the, the strain of it. And so I thought, well, you can do one or two things. You can whack some essential oils on it, or you can take your own advice and make some kind of lifestyle choice and decide not to write a book this year. But internally, I felt, well, you know what? You were put on this earth, I feel, to move aromatherapy forward and to always be researching. How are you going to do that if you don't write a book? Well, I had gone and done an uh, an essential oil summit, I think probably about 18 months before, and I'd booked out a whole weekend, and I was like, I'm not going to do anything else, but I'm going to listen to that summit, and I was really disappointed by it. I didn't think that there was anything in there for somebody who who knew about essential oils. I didn't learn anything, and you can probably guess from me I just want to be learning 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 all the time so I was really despondent about it so I had this idea and I went to my dear friend Gergle Halodi who is a um, Hungarian aromatherapist and a tremendous events coordinator 
And I said, Gagler, I've had this idea. What do you think? And I thought he, w- he went very quiet when I told him my idea at the end of the line. I thought, oh, he thinks it's stupid. And he just went, let's do it. <laughs> so my idea was that I wanted to do a summit for people who knew a little bit about essential oils and wanted to understand how to take it one step further. Um, but also, when I had gone to Gagler's conference in Hungary the year before and spoken about the endocannabinoid system, I heard other speakers and I noticed there was a stark difference between what I was seeing there and where I mostly write for in the States. And that was when I'm talking to the States, I bang my head against a brick wall going, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit. And then I still see somebody do an essential recipe. <laughs> and, uh, but when I was listening to the speakers from Europe, they were all taking it as absolutely red well, that's obvious. We don't even really have to talk about it. We all understand that. So I thought, well, do you know what? I think that would be really interesting to take that sort of knowledge across and to say, right, put it on a, on a global sta- stage and say, right, first of all, I'm sick of hearing you argue about whether you should use undiluted or ingest or all of that because you're all arguing and there's so many different ways of doing it. And just to kind of say, right, I don't want to jump on a plane this year and travel to all these far-flung places. I'm going to have people come to me. So the result of that became, it started off with an idea of having 20 speakers, but we contacted people and everybody just kept saying, but I think such and such would be wonderful. Why don't you get them? Why don't you get them? And we have nearly, we actually have 59 speakers now. We did want to push for one more and then we decided we were creating far more work for ourselves than we needed to and they talk about absolutely every aspect of essential oils that you can think of so obviously Kim you're talking yourself and I'm grateful for that um, about um, the emotions and the the importance of self-care and Kim talks beautifully about a race um, that I'm sure that she's told you about that she did with her running and how she used essential oils with that but we also have um, Salvatore Battaglia. We had a beautiful interview with Sal where I just kind of threw questions at him about, uh, um, about vibrational aromatherapy. He was interested, like I am, in the subtle bodies. And so we talked about that. More um, on the scientific level, your own uh, Mark Webb from Australia. He, we had a tremendous talk about Australian essential oils and uh, aromatic medicine and the different ways that the um, essential oils are used based on really where, where you live and how you've been trained. And also we've got um, a lovely uh, man called um, Greg Trevina, who's also Australian. I don't know if you know him, Kim. He's an essential oil producer and he's introducing two new rose oils into the market. Now they smell like rose, but actually they're from the tea tree family. And he talks about what it takes to get a new essential oil to market and uh, all the aspects of uh, how do we know what that oil will do. Mm-hmm. Um, Scylla Shepherd Hanger, who is a fantastic American aromatherapist, talks about safety. Um, the lovely de- um, Dr. Kelly Ablard is a um, Canadian lady and she talks, we were talking about sustainability earlier. She really, um, she, her PhD is on in, um, sustainability and she's been working with some, uh, a tribe in the rainforest to help them protect and uh, use their most treasured plant, the rosewood, 
and the issues and the, the concerns she's having, um, helping them to create an essential oil for them to trade, to bring money to the area, but also to protect it is very, very interesting. So we have all areas from the most scientific <clears throat> to the most woo-woo you can possibly imagine. There's a lady, an, um, one of my English colleagues, Michelle Rocks O'Neill, and she talks about um, the energy of numbers and how she uses the energy of numbers to create different dilutions for the oils to get them to do the purpose that she wants them to. So you go the complete gamut of uh, from as far scientific as you can get to as woo-woo as you possibly can. There is something there for everybody. Oh, and uh, amazing. Well, I hope it will be. I think I've been amazed while I've been doing the interviews that in every single lecture, I've learned a lot from other people. And perhaps arrogantly at the beginning, I didn't expect to do that because I thought we'll just be talking about stuff that I know. But it's amazing how many different sort of tentacles aromatherapy has got in different directions right through to there's a lady who does end of life care. Um, Madeline Kirkhoff talks about palliative care. Um, Dr. Florian Berkmar talks about how he uses them for, to help trauma and addiction. Everything. Anything you can possibly imagine, we've got something. And what's your hope for people who um, jump online with this summit? Because I, I see that there's a free component and then there's also you've got an early bird offer there. Right. So... It, my hope is that we will move aromatherapy forward from this obsession for recipes is, <laughs> and that people will start to understand the, those things that have been worrying them, that have stopped them um, from trying things themselves. So hopefully Scylla will be able to calm their concerns about the safety, that they'll learn how to dilute the oils the way that we do and the concerns over that. But also to just go, well, actually, yeah, I understand then if I've got an autoimmune condition, for example, in Amy Craden's lecture, right, I understand the other things I need to be looking at to make myself better and to be able to see perhaps a difference between aromatherapy and essential oil usage, if that makes sense. Um, so to achieve that, if somebody signs up for the summit, they automatically get all of those lectures free of charge. So how that works is it runs over 14 days from the 19th of November up to the 2nd of December. And every day they'll get an email where I do a little chat at the beginning that says, right, these are the people you're going to see and this is what it's about so that you can go, right, okay, I want to watch that one, that one, and that one. You are taken to their lectures and you can watch them for free of charge. And when the summit goes live, which as I say is on the 19th of November, the prices of, the, of having the recordings, if you want to keep them, is $497. But in this run-up now, we're doing an early bird offer that you save yourself a massive $300. US So it's $197. US and uh, when the summit then goes live, you have a lovely little area where everything's just in a nice, neat place. <laughs> And you don't have to go here, there and everywhere. And uh, you can just watch them as you want them, when you want them. On the free summit, what will happen is the, the videos will remain live for just seven days and then they'll disappear. And, but if you've paid for the summit, then you get to uh, access this membership area for a whole year. 
And you also have the opportunity to download whichever ones that you want to keep. And so then, in effect, you have lifetime access to what is, in effect, an incredible collaborative interactive book, if you like, um, all audio visual. So people, some people are just like you and I were just chatting. Others have done PowerPoints. And so you'll have all of that, that knowledge at your fingertips for whenever that you want it. It's brilliant. Oh. Sounds great. And Kimmy, you're going to be a part of this. So that's very, very exciting. Yeah, I'm really, really <laughs> wrapped. And we've, we've, <laughs> we've done a few, we took a few recordings to get it right because of the yep. internet with our beautiful uh, internet down under. But, but before we get all the details for that summit and how people can subscribe to it, if you had one last message for everybody, Elizabeth, what would that be for all our listeners? I would say there is nothing more important than being kind to other people and kind to yourself. That's what I would say. That's just that you can ladle on as many essential oils onto your physical body, but if you are not being gentle to yourself and being compassionate to others, then you are going to get ill. (laughs) True that. True that. And I think think what you've explained here today, Elizabeth, is very much that whole beautiful harmony between mind, body, spirit and nature and being able to look outside and look inside to find our solutions. So thank you for being a part of today's show. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Oh, you are most welcome. And I just want to tell all of our listeners again, I did mention it earlier when we first jumped online, that blending secrets.com is the website that you need to head on over to to check out this summit and to grab your early bird seats so make sure that you do that make sure that you pay attention and you watch all those gorgeous videos and you start to i guess it's really about education really it's being able to make informed decisions for yourself and you know not leaving it to, to chance and following some experts. And it sounds to me like when you buy this little summit, it's almost like you've got this library sitting there for you to refer to anytime you need to, because life is going to throw you and your family curveballs. And it's like having your own little, I'd like to think of it in Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) I mean, online. I love it. Shows my age. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. All of our listeners, check out blendingsecrets.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you both so much. Yeah, it's been lovely, Elizabeth. You're amazing and you're a real trooper and a trailblazer in the industry. It's a privilege to know you and I'm very, very, very excited about what you're bringing together with a whole lot of people from all around the world and incredible knowledge, like like Karen said, an incredible array. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well for everybody too. Thank you so much, darlings. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So for all of our listeners, hopefully you guys have loved today's show. Make sure that you head on over to our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can post your comments and your questions right there. Otherwise, head on over to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can also post your comments and your questions there as well. Join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we're going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.